John chapter 21, 15 to 19. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. We're coming to the end of our series in John. It's a bit sad. Uh, It's been a wonderful uh, series. John is a fantastic book. Uh, This is the second last uh, in our series, which is good. And this passage is uh, particularly uh, interesting and important uh, for us. I'm going to pray now because here we believe that the Bible, all of it, is God's word and is crucial for us in hearing from him and growing in our relationship with him. So I'm going to pray that uh, his word would impact us now. Let's pray. Uh, Gracious Father, thank you so much that uh, you want to know us. You want us to know you. And we thank you that you have provided your word, the Bible, preserved down through the centuries. We thank you that it bears witness to your son, Jesus. And we ask that now you would move our hearts and our minds uh, to love him that much more wholeheartedly, to believe in him and to embrace him. Uh, Help us not to be distracted by uh, things that have gone uh, before this morning, things that are happening later today. Help us to focus and to hear from you as you speak to us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the Central Coast uh, is really quite special. Uh, if you're visiting from Sydney or somewhere else, uh, I'm so sorry because you'll have to go. <laughs> you'll have to go back to where you, wherever you came from. Not that we want you to, but that's where you live. Because let's face it, uh, we have here some of the best beaches in the world, uh, let alone Australia. Uh, and you don't have to pay for parking. What's more, there's every sporting opportunity to enjoy, uh, from pickleball to basketball to football to netball to tennis ball to cricket ball to handball, uh, to all those other sports without a ball. Uh, there's uh, great dining at various places. Uh, craft breweries are popping up. Uh, more affordable accommodation than Sydney. Uh, quality education from primary through to tertiary studies. Beautiful national parks with uh, great bush walks, many uh, along the coastline. The home of great art and great photography. Uh, thanks, Ken Duncan. Uh, great shopping. Uh, more Bunnings warehouses than you can poke a stick at. You'll stumble over them uh, <coughs> as you drive down the high, uh, a road. Uh, cool camping spots, if that's what you're into. Uh, reptile parks, hundreds of them. 
uh, state-of-the-art hospital, a winning soccer team, go the Mariners, uh, a beautiful river, an easy trip, uh, train trip to Sydney, every opportunity to enjoy everything the world can offer, just better than everywhere else uh, that the world has got. We've got it all here at the Central Coast. The good life is screaming to be had here. Uh, if you've got means and you've got the opportunity, you'd be nuts not to take advantage of it all. Right? Now, after all, God's given all these good things for us to enjoy. The Bible tells us uh, that God has given these things for our enjoyment. So what possible reason would there be to not cram as much in for our kids and for our families and for ourselves than we can? Well, I think our passage today might actually challenge us with a couple of reasons. First, loving Jesus' people. And second, even dying for them. But before we take a look at those, uh, given much of this passage is about the Apostle Peter, we just read it, uh, it's good to remember where this guy, Peter, is coming from. Uh, before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, when he tells the disciples that they're all going to desert him, uh, as they're all kind of frantically denying it, Peter is the guy who's quick to say in front of them all, uh, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I never will. And Jesus is like, really? Really? Peter's nodding uh, furiously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. And Jesus sadly burst his bubble. Dude, before the rooster crows, you won't just desert me. You'll discern me personally three times. And he does. And he's crushed by his own betrayal. No doubt, he's still feeling the guilt of it. And especially so when Jesus rocks up in the flesh now for the third time. As we read last week, the disciples, they've gone back to Galilee. They've gone fishing. Caught nothing all night. Early morning, uh, some dude on the shore has told them to throw their net out again. They do. They get a massive haul of fish. Peter twigs that it's Jesus who's told them to do this. He jumps out of the boat to go to Jesus on the beach. He leaves the others to drag the boat and the fish in. And maybe uh, it's as they're doing that that Peter and uh, Jesus have a quiet moment together where Peter's maybe apologising uh, desperately for his betrayal. We're not actually told. We're not told what went on between them before breakfast. Uh, but we are told what on, went on between them after breakfast. Jesus walks along the beach with Peter and with the others, kind of trailing uh, behind, and John particularly is trailing there, fairly close behind, listening in on the conversation, which is important, uh, because what Jesus says to Peter here, the others, they need to know. They need to know that despite Peter's betrayal, despite his misplaced confidence, Jesus still wants Peter, wants him to know that he really does love him as he loves his people and that he'll love Jesus even to his death. Which brings us to our first point. To love Jesus is to love his people. Yeah, matching Peter's three earlier denials, Jesus asked Peter one question three times. What's the question? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Verse 15. When he had finished, they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, these what? What's he talking about there? I mean, it could be the fish that he's just caught and enjoyed eating. 
But it's probably more likely that it's the other disciples uh, trailing behind them. So Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? More than the others you said you'd stick with me, uh, but they didn't deny me three times. So do you love me more than them? Uh, wisely, Peter doesn't say yes or no to the comparative love uh, that, between him and the, uh, the disciples. Instead, he appeals to what Jesus knows. Verse 15 again, he answered, Yes, Lord, you know, yes, Lord, not more than the others, but you know that I love you. Uh, verse 16 again, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yeah, three times he asks Peter, three times to counter his three denials, and perhaps three times to match the, the three times that Jesus has now appeared again in the flesh, three times to establish the, uh, the truthfulness of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and of Peter's love for him and how that love is to be expressed. Verse 15, again, Jesus said, How, how are you going to show your love for me? Feed my lambs. Verse 16, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. Peter is to love Jesus by loving his sheep. By tending them, taking care of them, feeding them, serving them for Jesus' sake. The sheep there, the reference to the sheep, uh, that's Jesus' people, right? Those who are trusting in Jesus. Uh, anyone who is relying on Jesus, that his death was in their place, that their resurrection was for them to have life and life to the full. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you want to love me? Then serve my people. Presumably that indicates the other disciples that are there at the time too. Now, some uh, Roman Catholics have thought that uh, it's this passage that gives Peter the top job in the church, right? That he's the first pope, so to speak. I had a thought that might, the, uh, that might be the origin of the fish-shaped hat that all the popes wear, you know, that hat. Um, because, you know, Peter's a fisherman and all, but uh, that's not it. And neither is what Jesus sa uh, saying here is that legitimate grounds for the string of popes that we've seen to this day. Indeed, elsewhere, Peter talks about himself as a fellow elder, encouraging other elders to be shepherds uh, and overseers and examples to the flock. That indeed the chief shepherd is not him uh, or anyone else, it's Jesus. And back here in John, Jesus doesn't just, he, he doesn't even say to Peter, be a pastor or be a shepherd or hold the office of a, of a pastor. He says, tend, feed, care for my people. And that's something that all God's people, all those who are trusting in Jesus, are to do for each other. And just as with Peter, this is actually how we all love Jesus. By loving his people and caring for them. This is the way we love Jesus. Indeed, it may be precisely the way that we not only love Jesus, but maybe like Peter, the way that we get assurance in our hearts. Assurance that we truly do love Jesus. As John uh, writes elsewhere, he says, This is the message 
You heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. I love what John says here. Uh, And I wonder if it's something of an echo of what he heard Jesus saying to Peter that day on the beach. Because I can imagine if there was going to be anyone who maybe had a reason to doubt their love for Jesus, it would have been Peter, right? Particularly after the, in those dark hours after he's denied him three times. And sitting on that beach with Jesus asking him if he loved him, I wonder if there was, would have been any wavering in his heart when he said yes. Wanting it to be true, watching Jesus' face for any hint to, that he believed him, saying, well, you know, Lord, tell me if I'm wrong. Do I love you? I wonder if we've ever thought something similar. Particularly after we've done something pretty bad and it's weighing on our hearts like lead, poisoning our thoughts, sucking the joy out of everything else. At that point, have you ever thought, what is wrong with me? Do I truly love Jesus? And Jesus' answer, the assurance that he provides Peter is the same that he provides us all. Love his people. If our hearts are not at rest in his presence, if we're wondering whether we truly belong to the truth, if our hearts are condemning us, worrying whether we really love Jesus or not, the way out, the assurance that Jesus gives us, is to love his people, as he did, and lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Which brings us to the next point. Loving Jesus looks like loving his people, maybe even to death. To laying down our lives for them. Which is basically what Jesus says is going to happen to Peter. He's going to die glorifying God. We read that from verse 18. Very, very truly, very truly I tell you, Jesus says to Peter, when you were younger you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. To glorify God, it's actually to to praise him. It's to do or say something that causes others to marvel at him, at what he's done, at what he's doing, at who he is. And Jesus indicates that Peter's death is going to do this. It's going to glorify God, particularly the kind of death that he was going to suffer, would cause others to marvel at God. As such, many have thought the reference to him stretching out his hands and being led where he doesn't want to go, that this is a reference to the Roman practice of tying people to the cross, the crossbar uh, that they had to carry to the place of their own crucifixion. Uh, Some think he was crucified upside down. they get this from a 2nd century AD apocryphal piece of writing called the Acts of Peter, uh, where Peter asks to be crucified upside down and then he gives a sermon on why. Uh, now, it's unlikely it would have been 
having been nailed to a cross upside down, that anyone could have got it all together to then deliver a sermon, uh, let alone the fact that Roman soldiers, I doubt they would care one little bit what a criminal would want. Um, they would just do whatever they'd like to crucify you however they want. So it's unlikely that he was crucified upside down. But the intent of this apocryphal writing of the Acts of Peter has got it right, the intent at least, even if it's historically probably bunkum. Uh, because Peter's upside-down crucifixion and following sermon are intended to bring glory to God. With Peter saying to Adam, uh, this is the, the, the sermon that he apparently says upside down, he says that Adam, the first man, fell head down and turned the cosmos upside down, but only through Christ crucified can the world be seen upright. So to be head down and crucified to honour Christ is actually to see life and death the right way up. Now, even if the whole upside-down sermonising thing uh, is made up, Jesus did say that Peter's own death would bring glory to God, that his likely crucifixion would bring glory to God, glory to God as the pointer to Christ, the one who loved Peter to death and beyond, the one who would then be prepared to lay down his life for uh, him in his living and in his dying. And this is a pattern followed by many, many people, people like Peter, people who've known God's forgiveness and loving Jesus and who've heard Jesus call like he did Peter on that beach, verse 19, follow me. For a while uh, earlier this year, my daughter and I, Saf, uh, she was, we, we were reading uh, a biography about Amy Carmichael an Irish woman in the late uh, 19th century and early 20th century who really loved Jesus, she ended up going to India as a missionary, which was hard enough at the time, as with uh, uh, with the general missionary mentality at the time, let alone uh, being a European woman and a woman. Uh, but to reach out to those uh, in India for Jesus' sake, she uh, made some incredible inroads. She was one of the first to deliberately learn and speak Tamil, uh, she wore the same clothes as the locals, she ate the same food, she lived among them and with them. She ended up setting up at an orphanage, rescuing hundreds and thousands of girls from temple prostitution for, for the 40 years that she was there, uh, rescuing them from forced marriages and the like, and then later a number of boys as well. She lived and she died in India, working hard to love and care for them all and telling them about Jesus. But it was... Hard work, not very glamorous. Uh, she received a letter from a young lady one day. Uh, this lady was thinking about becoming a missionary. What's missionary like? What's missionary life like, she asked. Uh, Amy wrote back, and it's a classic line, missionary life is simply a chance to die. Because to die is gain and to live is Christ. As the Bible says. And this is what Jesus anticipates for Peter. That in his love for Jesus, as he loves Jesus' sheep, that is, Peter's brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are with him there and those who will be, as he shares the gospel with them, he will lay down his life for them. And in doing so, he'll die for Christ. As John tells us earlier in his gospel, 
where once Peter stupidly said to Jesus, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus now tells him, follow me. Knowing that it'll one day cost him his life. And he did. Out of love for Jesus and his people, he laid down his life and had it taken from him. It cost him everything. But now he's enjoying eternity with his Lord and Saviour in glory. Do you think he regretted laying down his life for God's people? No! And Jesus calls us to the same thing. Follow me. To follow him, to lay down our life and be prepared to have it taken away from us for his sake. I wonder if we're hearing that today. What can we point to in our lives that's cost us in our love for Jesus and his people? What have we given up? Or are we just fitting church into the rest of our lives? Are the people here your brothers and sisters in Christ and those who might be as you share the gospel with them, are they your first concern or is that sports or social activity or some celebration or family occasion or a love interest or a new purchase or comfort or whatever else it is that's captivating your your mind and your heart? Is that always, is that thing, whatever it might be in this life, always coming first over church or growth group or loving and serving our brothers and sisters in Christ or reaching out to those uh, who don't know Jesus with the gospel. Do we really love Jesus? Love him enough to count the cost, to feel the sting, to love his people by serving them at cost to our own time, our own energy, our money, our thoughts, our life. Do we hear him, as Peter did on that beach, follow me. For all the opportunities and the good things that the Central Coast can offer us and our families, is there more that we might be prepared to give up to lay down our lives instead for Jesus' people? Is church stuff before world stuff in our minds? Or only when it doesn't cost us. Maybe Jesus is asking us now, do you love me? I'm going to pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for his unbelievable love for us, that he was prepared to lay down his life for us. Please help us to love him by laying down our lives for his people and to love him for challenging us to lay down our lives for his people and to count the cost. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.